Hello, welcome to Conversations with Kari. I'm your host, Kari Feiler. In today's episode, I have a conversation with my friend, Zach Nelson. We talk about our state's respective drug policies, his hobbies, Warhammer 40K, current elected officials, basic income, inflation, Medicare for all, the plight of the common American, artificial intelligence, God, our science fiction future, Andrew Yang, upcoming elections, Donald Trump, writing, Sam Harris, what happens when we die, and other topics. There were some technical interruptions. My graphics card died twice. Uh, The second I managed to kind of cut out, but the first was just present and couldn't be avoided. Hope you enjoy the show. I think we're good. I think we're good to start. So this is the beginning. Thank you so much, Zach, for coming on. Uh, You're such a smart guy. And I remember us having some pretty intense conversations late night down there in Long Beach. Do you remember any of those? Uh, I remember. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. You're such a thoughtful guy. So please, uh, for the handful of people that are listening, introduce yourself. Yeah. Uh, well, my name's Zach. I, um, I'm currently finishing my undergraduate work at the University of Washington in political science. I'm then be going to a law school. Um, I live near Seattle. I was uh, was born up here, and then I, I traveled to California in 2009 to get sober. And I got cleaned up, and then I eventually moved back home uh, to Washington, where I am now. And uh, I'm really, really excited at this moment to be turning like the next page in my, my personal career and personal development. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's been a long time to get here, man. Was that your first time getting sober, coming to Cali and doing it? Yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. So uh, first time sober, stayed sober, one and done? Uh, no, no, not okay. at all. Um, I relapsed in 2013 mm. or 2014, and it was pretty bad for about a year. And then I sobered up again when I moved home. Uh, and then I did a trip in outpatient treatment in 2020, okay. right at the beginning of COVID, like right as the first lockdown was declared. Oh. Uh, and I've been sober since then. Okay. Okay. So a few bumps. Yeah, not by no means a straight. I mean, I've been in continuous recovery. Like yeah. I've never, you know, the whole thing. I've always had a job and been okay, and you know, my life has been kept together. Uh, yes. But, but yeah, I've I haven't been perfect. Well, I'm a huge proponent of all that experience counting. I knew a guy that had 21 years sober, but he never got more than eight consecutive. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't have that 21 years sober experience, right? He's, he's indistinguishable from an individual who has 21 years sober, yeah, right? Yeah, like if yeah. you look at his life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so no, that's, that's great, man. Yeah. I was, I got up to 14 and a half continuous, but then I discovered DMT and weed again. And I said, uh, here we go. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm 420 friendly now, but I'm actually going to bring it to an end here. It turns out weed is really bad for your sperm count and I'm trying to have kids. So, yeah, that would be problematic. Yeah, it's it's counter counterproductive to, to what I'm trying to do with my life. Weed just makes me retarded, man. Mm. Like, I, I smoke weed, I lose brain cells. I become useless for three hours. I can't do anything. Can't remember anything I read. Like, oh, man, it doesn't work. Yeah, you can. Look, smoking weed and then trying to learn something right while you're high is not going to work out. But what I think weed does is it's kind of a easy cheat connect to the earth type thing right where if you're feeling a little oh you know i don't know what you're in your head at least this is what it does for me right so if i'm if i'm in my head i'm worried i'm thinking about things that are going to be bad that aren't even going to happen right i can or or not i can just be in a perfectly fine mood and then smoke weed and then i just feel more connected to the earth right it makes me feel you know i start thinking about how i'm one of 
eight billion and the space. So I think about this stuff all the time, but I, you know, I resonate and dwell in it when I get high. So, uh, so it's still fun for me. But like I said, it's counterproductive to what I want to do. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I remember when I smoke weed. The whole thing for me is a little thing. I'm able to easier connect with animals. I have two mm-hmm. cats and a dog. And like, I if if I smoke weed, I can like really like connect with my little guys. Yeah. In a way that I just don't when I'm not stoned. It's grounding, man. It's a grounding plant. It's been around for a while, and I'm a fan. For sure, for yeah. sure. As I say this, I have a cat trying to climb on me who thinks my headset is something you should chew on. What's the status of weed in Washington? Is it legal or still illegal? Oh, do what you want, man. It's been legal for years. Uh, Washington and Colorado. Okay. Yeah, Washington. 2014, I think, Washington, Colorado. We're just like, fuck it, do whatever. Okay, okay. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm all for that. Here in Cali, it's up to an ounce you can have on you, and just for uh, personal I, use. The state of California just stopped caring about weed. Yeah, yeah. Good, for good reason. Uh, we, got a, we got a bunch of homeless people. We don't need to be worrying about weed. For sure. What is, like, actually, drug control policy in Washington State is actually in a, a kind of a weird place. Really? In California, is there still traditional enforcement of all substance control laws? Are they still arresting people for a dime bag of meth or whatever? Um, I would say the biggest problem with California enforcement is it's, it's zip code selective. So... You know, do, do they still bust people for meth, coke, crack, and weed? Sure. Are they in poor zip codes? Almost invariably. So, you know, if they oh, yeah. went to a wealthier zip code, would they find the drugs? Probably. <laughs> they don't look there. So, they're, yeah, they're still busting people for meth all the time. Poor middle class so, mostly. So last year, or a couple of years ago, uh, there was this whole hullabaloo about Washington State substance control laws. Okay, so obviously I'm a political scientist. I like policy. Drug control policy is kind of therefore on my list of things I pay attention to, right? Okay, dokie. And uh, if you look at like uh, the way sta- like criminal legal uh, statute, the the criminal liability statutes work for drugs in different states, right? Mm. They're they're all, they're all, they're so, some of them are kind of different, right? And there's something called a strict liability law, which requires no intent, right? Like, you just, you had the thing, you are therefore criminally liable. Hmm. And that's rare. Usually there's, like, a knowingly possessed. You must have the intent to possess it, right? You can't, for example, put on a pair of jeans you got back from a friend and then get busted with a bag of meth in your pocket, Yeah. not know it was there, and be criminally liable for that meth, hmm. right? Hmm. You, you can't theoretically do that. That's not actually constitutional, but that's what happened in Washington State. Someone was arrested with drugs they didn't know they had, and she took the case all the way to the the Washington State Supreme Court. And this is an issue that had been around for a long time. Legislators in the state were aware this defect existed in the law, mm. but chose not to correct it. So but, when they so chose what not to part of it, it is do you think is unconstitutional? Uh, the the lack of an intent provision that the you don't need to intent. knowing. So the right, constitution is clear about intent. Uh, there are, uh, there, uh, you know, that, so that's a complicated case law question. Like what, uh, what in the, the U S constitution gar- makes it so you can't have a strict liability statute with mm. regard to possession of drugs. Mm. Uh, I don't actually know that exact piece of jurisprudence of why you can't have strict liability with certain types of offenses. Um, well, I'm sure someone interpreted that way somewhere and started passing it along, right? Exactly. There was a ruling in the Supreme Court somewhere, mm-hmm. or the Washington State Supreme Court. There was some ruling that made it uh, you know, unconstitutional to have strict liability laws with things like possession, right? Interesting. Uh, so what happened is the, no, the Washington State Supreme Court, knowing that the legislature left this in place, just voids the entire law. Remember, this is the law that makes it illegal to possess a controlled substance. So then it becomes legal immediately? 
There was just no law criminalizing possession for a few months. I get well. Uh, there's still there was still the federal law that covered as a blanket, right? Oh, uh, federal law still applies, mm. but uh, it is well established in case law that a local state official cannot arrest and enforce federal law. Cops mm. in California tried that mm. years ago with marijuana. And the court laughed at them, laughed at them, and said, "You're you're not a federal law enforcement agent. You don't. It's not your job to enforce federal law." Interesting. We'll stop. Stay off my turf. Don't do my job for me, huh? Exactly. <laughs> this is not. This is not their deal. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there was a period of time where there was no substance control at all in Washington State, and then the state of affairs now, I believe, it has been replaced with a law that. Um, requires uh, the first offense for substances to be diverted to, uh, you know, a drug process. Mm. Uh, and apparently, I, I this is what I was told by a Republican operative who was in one of my political science classes. I haven't really looked into this deeply. Apparently, there isn't a good system across the state for keeping track of those first offenses. So the de facto policy, actually, is you just divert basically everything. And so arrests are much less common, and the ones that are just immediately get diverted. My stance is legalize it all. What do you think about that? 100%. No question. In fact, uh, I have that has always been my position. Uh, mm. So I'm, I'm a political scientist now, so I can now and very eloquently describe why there is, the prohibition is a problem. Um, but like the simplest thing to say is like the courts exist so that we don't have to kill each other over property disputes, right? That's why property rights exist. Makes sense. And if you make something totally prohibited, then the only recourse people have to enforce their property rights is to hurt other people. Wait a minute. So say the, you said the court's primary function or one of their primary functions is to keep us from fighting each other. Just to enforce property rights. Enforce property so rights. Right. We don't have to kill each other. But if you have something that's totally verboten, like drug possession, right, There's the state will not enforce a property right around that. It's illegal to possess it. So if someone infringes your property rights, that is to say steals your drugs or doesn't pay you for drugs you gave them, your only choice is to hurt them. Right. And that's, well, but that's I mean, so in the case of, you know, let's say I find I didn't buy any cocaine. I just found a bag of pound of cocaine on the sidewalk and I picked it up and I start sniffing oh, it. Walk around and sniffing it. Yeah, lucky day. So I start walking around and sniffing it. We're still isn't it still illegal? Even you know, it's not you didn't the property never changed hands. It's been, the you know, finders keepers kind of. And but it's still illegal. Right. So isn't that but that's right. not a property dispute. Oh well, it, no, 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 no. But I, I was saying is the re, what I what I was the claim I was making there is that um, uh, having uh, a total prohibition as your law makes it so people who are involved in drug transactions sometimes have to hurt each other. Mm, mm. See, my stance against it is I don't know why it's illegal to consume something that we widely agree is only going to hurt you. Right. Oh, yeah. What's how? Why are there why are there laws that say okay? If we all agree that if you drink bleach, then it's going to jack you up and do nothing to anyone else. So why is there a law against drinking bleach? You know, isn't it illegal to commit suicide in some states? Which is what? Right. I mean, I understand if you're committing suicide via a, a bomb vest, then yes, that is can't should be illegal. But if you're committing suicide via the you know a pistol to the head, then what is that illegal? I don't know. What's criminal? I mean, you're the victim. You're yeah. the perpetrator. It's all you. I uh, I support uh, I support a woman's right to choose, hmm. and I that's because it's her body and it's her choice. And I believe if if you believe that, you should also believe that all drugs should be legal. 
I believe those, those, those I believe those two policy policy preferences stem from the same principle. Kind of, and that suicide should be legal, right? To me, that's a, the same 100%. principle. It's 100%. your body. It's your action. All the consequences, or at least almost all the consequences, you're going to cause some emotional pain for sure. But the physical consequences are going to be pretty much locate uh, isolated to you. And if that's the case, then there's no why. How is there a law against what a person can do to themselves? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I was like to say, you know, my rights end where yours begin. That's uh, right. Because that's your, and your I agree right. with your, I agree with your first point, which is that the court is there so that we don't get in disputes with others, right? That's what the courts are there to adjudicate relationships, not your relationship exactly. with yourself. Do whatever you want to yourself, is my stance. Uh, exactly. Well, that's, I mean, we're a country founded on Puritans, right? We love telling other people what they can and can't do, especially what they can and can't do with their body. Yeah. It's kind of like an American tradition, right? Yeah. Yeah. Man, what, so I, I mean, what do you make of this Roe v. Wade overturned? We're still talking about abortion. How long later? Oh my gosh. I can't believe we're still talking about abortion. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm gonna be honest. So, like, I don't, I do have a, a policy preference here, but my real complaint uh, about this is that look, it's been the law for 50 years, right? Like, people have their their lives, everything set up for the law being one way for 50 years, mm -hmm. and then you want to overturn it because of some ideological beliefs yes. held by some justices. Come on, man! Like, that doesn't not just held by some justices, held by tens of millions of Americans. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I personally, like, I, I was, uh, I went to, to Catholic school from K through 11. I mm. consider myself really atheist, like okay. Richard Dawkins atheist, militant nice. atheist. Um, and I, when I see people wanting to ban abortion, what I see is theocracy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I have no interest in that. And, like, if someone really wanted to enforce that kind of theocratic regime as a rule across all people, I, that's where I stand up and I say, fight me. Right? Yeah, like I'm not, I'm I mean, not, it's, it's, I think I agree with the take that overturning Roe v. Wade is a step towards the unification of church and state, uh, which is supposed to be antithetical to what this country is about. Uh, so, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm upset that here we, here we are, to your point, that we have justices and judges and, and common people marching us in this direction in which you say, oh, I my religious beliefs are this. Therefore, the law should be this. That's wrong. That's un-American. Right. It's American to say, I believe this and the law should be as we all choose. Right. As the demos chooses. That's where the law comes from. And certainly, uh, you know, there's no report that I've seen in the past 10 years that said that a more a majority of Americans want to overturn Roe v. Wade. What? No, it's the reverse. It's the reverse. And so in my, uh, as far as I can tell, the American elected officials are not operating on the will of the American people. Uh, no, I think, uh, I think it is very common, especially in this country um, for uh, very small vocal minorities to get what they want. Mm. I think that's what we're seeing here. Mm. I think most people truly have nuanced views on mm -hmm. abortion. I mm -hmm. think most people, like, you know, a rape and incest, that should be abortion available. I think basically everyone agrees about that. Yep. The Rogan um, stance. I agree with Joe. Right. Uh, you know, funny, Joe gets a lot of shit from intellectuals, but he's actually a pretty sharp guy. Yeah, he is. What I love about Joe Rogan is that he's a common man. Right. He's someone who sure. he's someone, who Donald, Donald Trump is pretending to be. Yeah. No, no he's. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, Joe Rogan is a guy who doesn't want to think about politics all the time. He doesn't want to think about 
anything all the time except the things that he wants to think about all the time. And then he goes after those things with vigor. He goes after comedy. He goes after MMA, right? These are the things that he enjoys. He goes after bow hunting. He just does what he wants. He enjoys his life. And I think he's setting a good example for men around the nation. Uh, yeah, I like Jeff. I think I, I recently watched one of his stand-up things from t- most, from back in 2017 or 2018, and I was again impressed. He has a he has a good command of uh, of comedy. Tbh, I've never been a fan of his comedy. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> never, not once. I, to me, it's a little awkward. But uh, you know, he's he's a skilled commission, a skilled comedian. Uh, I love his I love his real persona, right? His podcast and who he really is. That's that's who I'm enamored with. This comedy for me is. You know, like B minus, but uh, just not my taste. You know, just different people, different yeah. taste. Yeah. Do you like Doug Stanhope? I can't say that I've watched enough to know or not. Uh, he's he's really good. He's uh he's he's kind of dark. He can does just really dark humor. That's uh you'd, you'd have to. Does he do the ultra dark one liners where the punchline is like, yeah, but it was a child. Ha <laughs> Is that him? Uh, I mean. <laughs> No, more of his stuff is like just darker in frame in terms of commentary. And I think okay. he's a recovering alcoholic or was an alcoholic, so he's got you know, got that kind of gallows humor thing going on. Hmm. I really like John Mulaney. Uh, I think he's really funny. I think I've seen a little of his stuff, but yeah. not much. And Dave, of course, Dave is the goat. We all agree. Yeah. Thinking of uh, of Rogan, you know what he got me on that was really cool. Do you ever hmm. look at any of David Blaine's stuff? Uh, the magician. Yeah. No. Endurance artist, whatever. So uh, Joe interviewed him. And so I went back and I looked at, like, he did this whole thing where he, like, uh, it was called, I think, Ascension, where he, like, literally floated up into the sky, like, holding, like, strapped to a bunch of balloons, basically. Hmm. Uh, Really cool stunt. Nice. Nice. No, good for him. Are you uh, an adrenaline junkie at all? Uh, Not these days. I like driving fast. I I race go karts and I'll race cars, autocross, or whatever when I can. Do you? How often do you race? Not often. Uh, I've autocrossed once in the last few years. We have my wife and I bought an 04 STI, so I have a car I autocross. Uh, okay. I, I want to do track racing. That's but Track racing is is really expensive, hmm. and I'm kind of a student. There's no way I would know. <laughs> I spend I spend my days at a keyboard and a screen. <coughs> no, no adrenaline for you then. Um, the latest pump of adrenaline I had was doing a part-time teaching job for the first time so hello future kari here in that conversation my graphics card crashed and interrupted our recording but the conversation more or less rolled along for the few seconds while i was getting the program uh, back recording again sorry for the interruption but i wanted to provide some context here's the rest of the conversation have a buddy who runs a network of a bunch of uh, podcasts. Okay. For okay, so I have this really nerdy hobby. Do you you know 40k Warhammer 40k? I've heard of it. Yes. Yeah, tabletop game. Mm-hmm. I am one of the hundred best 40k players in the world, and I hang nice. out with a bunch of people who do 40k content and play tons of 40k. And it's like it's what I do with my spare time. It's really nerdy, but we produce a bunch of content. Okay. We do. Uh, so we use we. There's a bunch of streams. There's like four or five podcasts that are on part of this this network my buddy runs and then we stream stuff from the actual tabletop when we're playing okay okay so yeah i've i've become enamored with the mkv format because it allows it just it it encodes while it records and so this little hiccup that my computer just had is actually over i'm recording now and so it's just uh and it didn't lose anything that we already said Yeah, yeah yeah exactly 
So who do you, as a political scientist, who do you like on the political landscape? Who's your? Who are some of your favorite oh, thinkers? Oh God! There? Oh God! Um. So. I don't like many people in the political mainstream. I'll put it okay. that way. Uh, certainly not the far right. Certainly not the far left. Okay. Um, I mean, I like. Uh, I tend to respect people who are moderates. I don't. I don't. I, was, I mean, I like Bernie Sanders, but I guess if the question is who do I respect or I like. No, who nowadays, who would you see writing the bills for us and making the laws going forward? Right. Who do you want as the oh as the vice president or president? Right. The person who uh, decides which bills pass and which don't. Stuff like that. Man, Whose views do you uh, like? So my problem is there is almost it, my polit my political beliefs uh, are not well espoused by mm. any political party particularly. I mean Bernie Sanders comes from Vermont. I agree with his social policy, and he actually tends to not want to restrict firearm ownership. Mm. So that's that's a good combination. He is someone who checks boxes on both sides of uh, both columns. Okay. Um. I think Pete Buttigieg is a really reasonable guy, and I'd like to have someone from my generation in power, so he would be high on my list. Okay. Um, I share Elizabeth Warren's views on um, on corporate power, mm. uh, but I don't agree with all her views on social policy, and I don't think she'd be where I want on some other issues. I think she would restrict firearms access, for example. Mm. Um but I'd say, like my strongest, so, yes, my strongest political impulses are towards uh, corporate power, distribution of resources, right? It's all Elizabeth Warren or Sanders and uh, drug control policy. Those are the things I key on most. But uh, firearms ownership is also important to me. What do you think about basic income as a program? Oh, um, so UBI is obviously you know one solution to that problem. I think it's uh, it could be a good one. I think it's the right kind of idea. I think we need a major piece of redistributive policy that helps everybody. Um, I think that's without a question. I think UBI is one way to achieve that. Uh, I haven't looked into it extensively. I've looked into it a little. And one of the things a commentator who I, I, I respect said about it was uh, the problem with UBI is that the more you look at it, the worse it gets as an option. Um, and I think that makes sense, especially in this, this moment we're at right now where inflation's a problem. Uh, imagine trying to implement UBI when we have an inflationary pressure. That's bad, right? Fair, uh, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of UBI, and I, well, I will admit, doing it right now on top of uh, inflation isn't, wouldn't be good, and I wouldn't, you know, I would have proposed it before all this, and I'll, pr I'll propose it as soon as we can calm down from all this. But the UBI that I propose is definitely, like you said, redirected. That is to say, the money is in the economy. It collects the money from a tax and then redistributes it. And so, as far as I'm aware, that $400 billion that they printed for the Fed, and then the Fed printed another three trillion for everyone else was literally printed right these stimulus packages uh which is contributing to the global econ a uh, global inflation and i don't think you would have the same inflationary pressures if you weren't printing the coins uh well yeah i mean monetary policy allows for things that cause inflation right yeah. like that's for sure um i think uh, i had, i had read at some point about what proportion of the eight or nine percent inflation we had at its peak uh, was caused by stimulus during the uh, during the the COVID lockdown. I believe what I read was it was like two and a half or three percent of it. So less than half of our inflation was caused by that, right? Interesting. Uh, but still, I mean, that's twenty five or thirty percent of the problem is a lot. That's a big mm -hmm. problem, but it's it's not like the only thing. I mean, uh, how did the rest break down? Well, our friend Vladimir Fuckface uh, invading his neighbor country uh, kind of 
added to a lot of the inflation around fuel, mm, mm. right? So that's a big part of it. And I can't remember. I think the rest of it was just garden variety, macroeconomic, whatever. I don't mm. like the fact. That okay. Okay. Well, yeah. They had savings. Even independent of the stimulus, they had savings and they had pent up demand. And that all comes to be at the same time when there's supply chain problems and you get you know a lot of dollars chasing few goods and therefore runaway inflation. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we could afford a reasonable basic income if we modified it in, in these two specific ways? One, we replace the equivalent amount of cash assistance, disability, GR, right? So we replace all those things. So if you're getting disability, once we get basic talking income, about Andrew, yeah, talking about Andrew. Yang well, he didn't, he didn't propose that. I'm, I propose that. Uh, oh, so his, I believe his thing was it's a thousand dollars a month to everybody. And that supersedes all of the benefits. It replaces everything. He, I mean, except, he said Medicare. that at first, but he walked that back towards the end of his campaign. Um, I'm having your Medicaid, Medicare needs to exist, or what yes. you need to do yeah, while, not, you, while you're doing this, just go to single payer. Yeah, thousand dollars and single player and in, single in player. Yes, yeah. no, I, in the same. It's sure, ready. no, yeah, in the same. I agree in the same project. And the what I argue for it for is because I'm a. It's my opinion that people flourish when they have a soft place to land. Uh, one thing that's true in my life is that no matter how wretched I got, no matter how poorly I did, no matter how insane I went, my mother always made sure that I knew that I always had a soft place to land because she was there. Right. And, and still is and still is. And she always makes sure that I know that. And it's my opinion that people who are fortunate enough to be born to parents that have assets and understand capital management, that they, if they're also fortunate enough to have loving parents that, have, that understand capital management, then they also have a soft place to land. And so these people tend to be the most stellar examples of thriving in our societies. And uh, it's my opinion that we could afford to offer that same cushion to every American citizen with the assets on hand. Uh, you know, when I do the when when I do the math and I see them giving away four hundred billion, four trillion, when I see them cutting taxes by thirty percent, I mean Joe went up uh, fifteen tax fifteen percent tax, but uh, Trump cut taxes after all the other Bush cuts that never got reversed. So you cut taxes, you give away money, but then you say we can't afford that to pay the people. I don't buy that. Right. As an American, I go, you know what? I don't buy that. I see the money going around from what I understand, a transaction tax and the VAT tax. And we could we could figure it out. Right. We could get the money redistributed if we really want to. It's a matter of political will. Not do we have the money. That That's my stance. Do you agree? Do you disagree? That is 100 percent correct. Uh, the the right question to ask is, could we reallocate resources in that way and increase taxation as requir required? Well, create and create only an acceptable drag on the economy in the process because taxation does does put a drag on the economy. That is mm. a fact, right? Uh, I think the answer is yes. Mm. I think we absolutely could. I think we wouldn't even be approaching the point where the consequences or the drag on the economy would too, be too much. I think it would be very easy to do that. But we, the people with money, just don't want to give up the money that would be required. And here's would here's the other side of that. You talk about a drag on the economy through the tax. This is true. But let's also consider the boost, the boom, and the burst that the economy would receive from that money going into common people's accounts. Let's let's allow oh, yeah. let's allow be, that to offset the drag, right? Right. We we would be taking money that was essentially not being spent on productive things because it's like the you know ten millionth dollar a rich person That's gets. Right. 
and giving them to people who will immediately spend that money. That's right. right? It is like the it inverts the logic of trickle down, and in fact, that trickle is up. The correct. That, exactly, that is the correct. It is a a bottom up plan yeah. or a middle out plan. Yeah, that will actually work. Uh, yeah, and again, that's if you uh, reasons I don't agree with anyone on uh, on policies because I am strongly against Republican orthodoxy on mm. this subject. Mm. Uh, I believe that Republican Orthodox policy literally just exists to serve rich people. Have um, you ever read Democracy in Chains by Nancy McLean? Uh, I don't think so. So Democracy in Chains, it's it's her investigative report. And she discovered that a thinker named James Buchanan in the mid-century, mid-20th century, influenced the Koch brothers and the libertarian movement to the degree that he defined, that is he being James Buchanan, defined liberty as the right of an individual who had acquired certain assets to maintain and control the entirety of those assets, arguably, without any state intervention. So his definition of liberty was to protect the interest of the asset holders. Right. And this is the this is the line that the current um, I forget the name of their their groups. There are so many of them that the current Koch Brothers Network groups uh, espouse. Right. These are these are their lines. They say. If I've managed to put together 10 million, 20 million, 30 million dollars in assets, there really shouldn't be anything that the state or federal government should be able to tell to me uh, in order to get me to give up any of these coins. And I disagree with that for reasons that we just stated, because we need some sort of redistributive mechanism. But this is the project, right? The project that the Koch brothers set out on. And I think they've succeeded uh, by writing the bills for the states as they saw fit. And the bills just take them and the state senators just take them, put their name on it and submit it. Tell me, have you seen these bills that are coming from these groups and then the the, the senators or the representatives forget to even fill in their state sure. <laughs> i saw yeah, and then it, yeah. then it had some square brackets that said insert state name here or something come on guys sure. come on yeah, guys. So I think money in politics is really pernicious uh i think that's a serious problem we have to mm. address like mm. if you recall there was a study from some people i think at princeton some years ago and it uh had some language like um it was they were checking the the popularity of a policy versus the probability that it gets enacted into law. Okay, uh, and they said that public preference in policy has a statistically insignificant, near zero effect on the likelihood of a particular policy becoming law. Public preference has a yeah. near zero effect on the yeah, likelihood fact, of becoming law. They they graphed they graphed the things and they actually graphed preference by uh, income percentile versus probability of something becoming law. And the preferences of the bottom decile were inversely correlated with the probability of something becoming law, and the pro the preferences of the top ten percent were slightly, weakly, positively correlated with probability of becoming law. Yeah. So when so, we when we say that the poor people are getting everything they don't want, poor Americans are getting everything they don't want, and rich Americans are getting just about everything they want, or at least most of what they want. Meanwhile, the the poor and common Americans get the opposite of what they call for. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's basically it. Which is, I mean, not shocking to anyone who's lived here. Nope. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I'm hopeful that when our current governing class just ages out and dies, uh, that our generation will do a better job. That's a, that is an optimistic look. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think it's true. I think we're going to, I think, you know, put civil war on the calendar in 30 years, right? Mm hmm. That's what I've been saying, man. Uh, now, I do think that it's, we're going to get better in the long run, but I, I agree with you that the next 30 years are going to be rough. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things we haven't figured out as a country. Like, uh, I, I think, you know, this, so there's, a, there's a time on a tradition in this country of people with economic power who want to keep economic power using racial or cultural issues to keep people who would otherwise unite against them divided. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and the the left has like really chosen to engage in identity politics in the ways that makes it impossible to build the necessary coalition to fight those who have money and power. I agree. Uh, and that's going to need to change because we're going to need to see have poor white people see poor black people as their friend if we're going to make this whole thing work. And neither side is is actually, you know, offering a a set of beliefs that that work towards that end. Let me tell you who I argue for. I argue for the common American. I don't care what their political preference is. I don't care what their gender is. I don't care what their skin color is. If you're a common American citizen, you are my brother, my sister, and I'm fighting with you. That's my exactly. stance. Exactly. You know, does that put me in the center? I don't I don't think so. Like I said, I'm a I'm a kind of a UBI tax the rich liberal. Uh, but I understand that my brothers and sisters in the heartland are exactly that brothers and sisters in country uh and it doesn't matter the affiliation so that's that's what i strive for i strive for argumentation that strikes the common right uh and i'm i'm trying to emphasize that because it's the elites that the government needs to stop paying so much credence to right it's absolutely run by elites and i think that's that much is obvious by the like you said by the bills that get passed and people just won't stand for it forever man yeah i think um you know, if it gets bad enough, the people at the bottom are going to rage quit table flip, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's not, uh, that's really bad for everyone. I think that, I think some people are too eager to have that result and are like, fuck it, let's go. But they don't understand what that actually means or how painful that would be. Yes. So I really hope we can get where we need to go without violence. But I think it's going to require some changes, man, because like... Let me tell you, I, I went back to school, right? I've always thought I should go back to school, finish mm. my education. Mm. The only reason I was able to do it was because COVID happened. And so over the period of two years, the federal government gave me $80,000. Mm-hmm. Right? If I don't have that money, I can't go back to school. Mm. Mm. And I, I'm lucky, right? Most pe- We shouldn't put people in that position, right? If someone wants to make an important change to their life or do whatever, like you said, they need to have that landing pad so they can take risks and do what they have to do. And unless we work to a system where the common person has that, it's just going to get worse. See, here's the here's the thing that that's going on. Okay, we're on a water-based magma marble floating, and we don't know what. That's what's going on. So we need more people thinking about that with pretty much all their energy. <laughs> and in order to get people to look up and think about our species and our and our existential problems, they need to have their attention freed. And that's one of the main lines that I use to argue for basic income is that giving someone the ability to use all of their attention however they want on whatever they want for as long as they want is the privilege previously afforded to only the children of the wealthy that we can afford to provide to everyone and that is also the best thing that we can do for the future of this country we can free people uh, yeah. man that's shockingly uh, shockingly libertarian of you I don't think it's it is libertarian. You know, I look, I am I am I overlap so much with libertarians. Listen, if you're in your house and you want to have sex with frogs, do it. More power to you. You know, I'll sell you the frogs if I'm selling frogs. Uh, it's whatever you want. Uh, that, that's liberty to me. That's like the spirit of libertarianism is if you're doing it in your house and it's legal, you know, more power to you. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's absolutely correct. I think the you know when you get into the the classic the thing there, why um, you know if we were to give people money that frees them up, that weakens the power of corporate interests that need them to be forced to work. Yes, 
right? We can talk about willingness, you know, contract and all that all you want, but the bottom line is people agree to working conditions they would never voluntarily agree to because they have no actual choice. Let me tell you, so I've got a, a buddy, good buddy of mine, uh, who believes that the risk of destitution is good for a capitalist economy. Is healthy for a capitalist economy that people's backs are against the wall in that way. I disagreed with him. Uh, do you? It sounds like you would disagree with him too. Yeah, I think that's a loaded. Oh, okay, so who is it good for? That's that's the question. That's a good <laughs> it's question. certainly not good for the person that's whose backs against question. the wall. Who, yeah, who is it good for? It's not the employee. It must be the employer. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and like you see employers, people complaining. Oh, we can't find workers. Well, have you tried paying more? Oh no, you haven't. Huh? How about that? I saw, uh, now to be fair, it was a tweet, and so you have to take it with a grain of salt, right? It's a tweet. Uh, But this is what the tweet said. It said, I did some local research in my area. Jobs that are paying $35 an hour, no vacancies. Jobs that are paying $30 an hour, fully staffed. Jobs that are paying $27, $25 an hour, fully staffed. Jobs that are paying $15 an hour, can't find anybody. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly Yeah. Yeah, they want, I mean, the people, the the economically powerful would prefer a situation where the average person has so little power, they must agree to whatever terms they want, which is, that's garbage. And that's the world we largely live in. Yep. What What we need is the businesses to have to compete with the right. worker available, with the worker able to stay home without them. They need to right, compete exactly. with that to pay. Them. That's exactly. what that's what's going to get people fair wages is when you can stay home without them. They need to earn right. your attention. This is this is something that the our elected officials should be fighting for. Businesses need to earn our attention and earn our voluntary contract by offering agreeable contracts, not and not without destitution at our backs. Exactly. And, you know, it doesn't have to be like, oh, they pay a lot more. It could just be that your $15 an hour crappy job gives you more control of your schedule. You can get the time off when you need it. That, you know, your your employer won't willfully make conflicts with other shit in your life to be a dick, right? Like that, it could be as simple as making that the working terms everywhere, right? Yeah. As terms of a step towards that. It doesn't have to just be more money. But like, it's just so clear that the employers don't respect workers as a class, right? There are some exceptions to that, obviously. Like, I worked for a small business that was great. Owner was amazing. Mm-hmm. But corporate America writ large does not give a fuck. See, I would, I, would go, I would go as far as this. After a basic income that secures people's ability to live and thrive without selling their attention, okay, after that is secured, I would become possibly for eliminating the minimum wage. Because yeah, it, but ba- it's unnecessary. It's un- because a basic as long as people are free to pay attention to whatever they want on their screens for as long as they want without selling their attention, then yeah, if you're an employer and you want to offer somebody two dollars an hour to type your code because you can and somebody will do it, then yes, you can and somebody will do it. And somebody will sign up for that too. To see, I think basic income, if we get it in America, it will give us such a generational advantage having that first right what i what i fear is that some european nations are going to institute a robust basic income program and we're going to still be fighting over abortion <laughs> oh that's yeah. i mean yeah that's almost guaranteed to be happening man that makes sense wild what uh what are you interested in outside of pol- or i mean obviously so tell me so tell me about warhammer you started on this what got you into oh. warhammer 
Uh, so I played 40K when I was a kid, like back up, uh, third edition of the game. So hmm. 2099, my okay. probably I started. Uh, I had a, I met a friend from like some summer camp thing who was into it, and so then I went and saw his models and played a little bit, and then I got into it, and then I I played it for years like religiously it was my thing, hmm. uh, and then I main, quit. Huh? And I, Your main game. Yeah, well I mean I also do I do PC gaming too, but it was like in terms of tabletop stuff it's my only real love. Okay. Um, and then I quit for a long time because uh, I was busy doing drugs and being an idiot. Uh, and then I came back to the hobby in 2017 or 2018, and the game was in its seventh edition, and it was kind of garbage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Games Workshop, who makes the game, fired their CEO, brought in a whole new leadership team, and they released a new edition of the game. It's much better, and I've been playing it competitively since then. Okay, okay. What is it that's so enamoring about Total Warhammer? Hmm. It's uh, it's fun. So the, the what's cool is so it's something you do in person. The competitions are in person. You know, sixty to thirty to hundred people, whatever, different sizes. Um, and so it's something you can compete on that you do in person. There's a big community for. Um, there are better games, uh, but this is the one that has the community. Like there's, you could find a tournament every weekend. There's lots of people who play it. Uh, really? The intellectual property is really cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the, like the world, there's like tons and tons of novels set in the setting. Um, and I'm, I'm a nerd. There's a couple authors who actually are really good. Uh, Dan Abnett is a well-known author who writes for their books. And so like, there's a, it's a, the intellectual property surrounding the game is really robust and it's a really cool setting. So it has a lot of staying power. Um, there's a hobby aspect to it. Um, so uh, like you, 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 the bottles are great plastic and you paint them yourself. Okay. Um, and in fact, let me see if I have uh, a picture of one of my models here. Uh, I can I can send you a picture at some point of yeah, one oh, of the one of the best models I've ever painted. I have a copy of it somewhere. Um, but yeah, you know uh, it's uh, it's it's a fun hobby, man. It, there's, there's there's a lot to it. There's some like hobby and artistry. There's a lot of social interaction, and it's also competitive. Have you ever played for money? Um, I have won a number of cash prizes. Uh, most prizes in the game are, are just store credit because it's being put on by some store, and that's nice. one of the ways they pay for the event. Nice. I get a lot of free stuff, um, and I am again I'm a regional winner, and so I get a lot of free stuff. But I've only gotten cash once, maybe twice. What? So let's say there's someone listening who's just getting into Total Warhammer. What are mm-hmm. so, what are some things I wish I knew that you could give them? Oh, uh. Don't try and take the game seriously at first. Just find a lo- local group of guys to play with. Mm. Um, that would be the you know my first thing is just have fun. Make like, sure find you're having fun. Yeah, that's what I was just. Yeah, thinking. exactly. Just make sure you're having fun. Like, and that's that may be kind of backwards advice for a uh, a new player because they're always me doing it for fun. You know, like as someone who plays it competitive, though, I have to remind myself just to have fun. Um, and then also, like uh, I would say, like I-, I really like hobby. I would encourage anyone who's new to like just go on YouTube and look up videos of how to paint stuff, and you could really like up your game as a painter. Mm. I-, I really mm. enjoy the hobby aspect of it now. Awesome, awesome. That's cool. What are your aspirations with your career with political science and law? Ooh, um. All right, so I'm going to give the, the little bit soulless answer here. I mean, okay. I, I went back to school because I want to do law because it's going to be intellectually engaging and will challenge me, challenge my mind in the way no other job has, right? Mm-hmm. Um, continuously, right? Like, I'm going to have to think all the time for my job. Um, I'm going to be honest. I want to do something prestigious and make a lot of money. Um, and those are, like, two of my big goals, and I may be willing to compromise on other things to achieve those. 
But nice. I would like to work in artificial intelligence or some sort of intellectual property law, right? Working with AI or tech. Uh, and I think that would be really cool. Okay. And would probably allow me to, you know, make a good amount of money. It's probably really steady work up in the Seattle area. We have a lot of big tech companies here. Um, so I think that'll little get me where I want to go. Um, it would be, so like in an ideal perfect world, like there's, there's gonna have to be a lot of new law created around artificial intelligence, not mm. just by the state, but also like through litigation. And it would be really cool to work, uh, on a team that, that helps make that new law. Right. And really litigates important new issues with artificial intelligence. I think that would be really cool. I don't know if we'll get to do that, but it'd be cool. Do you think AI will be able to kill us all like Elon? Oh, um, so I'm a big Sam Harris fan, and he talks about this a lot in some of his, uh, his podcasts. Um, I think that there is real risk of artificial intelligence harming people. I think some of the the, the weirder things are, like, if you have artificial intelligence that has no, like, sentience, it's just intelligence. Mm-hmm. And uh, its uh, goals become slightly misaligned with people's, and you could have some really awful things result from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, no, I'm I'm with you. I think it's uh, I think it's fair warning, right? Because we're talking about it's a computer, right? It doesn't. It's not. It's not a feeling human being, right? So it's yeah, sure. It's not gated by that, right? Our, our feelings about being human is part of what prevents us from being able to just chop other people's limbs off without feeling something terrible about it, right? But a computer doesn't have that same restriction. Oh, for sure, for sure. Like, if you also like, uh, do you watch Westworld? I not the newest season. I'm not current on the, but I've watched the other ones. Yeah, you know, like in season one, I, I was Barara. Someone's talking about how like the the range of acceptable human behavior is actually quite small, and anything mm. outside that is just viewed as insane, right? Yeah. Computer uh, artificial intelligence is going to have in no way fit between the bounds of what we consider sane, mm. right? It's like mm. it's ununderstandable and unknowable. Like it's you're talking about something that thinks what you know a hundred times thousand times faster than a human being mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and has and has none of the biological context we have that's right um, well i you know i'm of the opinion that the computers inside of our brain are super superior but we don't even know how the computers inside of our brain work <laughs> they run our the, oh, computer, sure. the computers inside of our skulls run us we don't run them uh you can learn to run it but it's very hard your experience well, meditator the most advanced AI, you know, your um, your LLMs, right, are really modeled after the concept of how the human brain is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but what they what they can do, and I've heard this talked about with analog computers, is is it's the limitation of code, the limitation of even even quantum bits to a degree, because the brain isn't just processing on the many discrete signals that a single neuron is sending any given second. It's also bathed in chemical concentrations and other molecular concentrations. So it's, it's a, it's a computer that's computing in multiple dimensions via molecules, you know, physical molecules. So it's a, it's a physical analog, it's an analog computer and it's the most, uh, impressive thing I think that we know of in the universe other than the universe itself, right? Sure, yeah, it's certainly, I mean, people are very complex organic machines, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think what's uh, what's to be borne in mind when talking about what is the most complex or the best, I think you have to ask, like, what is the purpose of this machine? And everything in the human mind has evolved to serve the purpose of reproduction and survival. Sure. Right? That's all it serves. And I think if we're talking about how useful is a machine, we can, if we can build a, a machine that is even a tenth as complex as the human mind, but does what we want, right? Or is, yeah. is built, designed to solve the problems we need to solve. Yeah. Uh, that'll be such, that'll be so huge. Yeah. Um, 
No, I totally agree. And we're going to, you know, as long as the machines, yeah, as long as the machines do what we tell them to do. Now, I think you hit the nail on the head that our genetic code seems to compel us to survive. But you also said that you were an atheist. So the question comes up, what are we surviving for? Um, I long ago just came to the conclusion that um, all value in life is subjective. Hmm. Um, no lives matter. Uh, and that what matters in life is whatever I decide matters in life. You said all value is subjective. Yeah. So if I am an individual, there's no value to a thing except the value that I give to it. Exactly. Would you proffer that there are some things like food, shelter, and warmth that our species seems to give value to uh, for, for a reason that is greater than that individual, right? It's, it's some, there's something even greater than the species that seems to drive us to survive. Is that not... Uh, so you disagree with that stance? Uh, well, yeah, I don't believe there is anything more than what can be observed and measured in a scientific sense, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. So my question would be then... Where do you suspect reality comes from, if not oh, a god? Uh, if we define God as that which came before what exists, then I will agree with you that there is a god. So you subscribe uh, to Carl Sagan's God, which is we admit that something came before us and we don't know what it is, and let's call it God. And that's a bo- uh, he called it the boring God. Uh, right, and that is that God doesn't have to be anthropomorphic in any sense. It could mm. be a thing, not mm. an entity with agency, right? Mm. It could just be something that exists. Or it could be not an agent. It doesn't. God doesn't have to be an agent. God could be a computer, a piece, a piece of some other agent software that's created this whole sure. universe. Yeah. Sure. So what? Um, so Sam, I'll, I'll go. I'll go. I'll fall back on Sam Harris's discussion about this or his argument about it, which is that essentially the universe is incredibly complex. And if we pre- if we su- we're going to suppose that something created the universe, whatever that creator is, but therefore must be more complex than the thing he created. So, if I have to either just accept something really complex exists, which is the world, or instead choose to accept that something even more complex must somehow just exist for no apparent reason, it is simpler to simply exist, uh, accept the universe exists and leave it at that. Than try and superimpose a god onto the scenario, if that makes sense. I I don't know. I don't agree with that. Uh, so for me, and I guess I'm disagreeing with Sam maybe a little bit. Um, for, oh, I agree with his position. I mean, I, that's, yeah, I, 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 I'll take on that. I, I can dis- I can disagree with Sam. I disagree with him some of the, with him on some other things. Um, so to me, I so first and foremost, yes, obviously, physical reality that we inhabit is incredibly complex. Complex. Then uh, it I, and, I, and I grant that whatever this this universe comes from, since it seems to come from something, since it's moving, right? It's it seems to have come from something. Uh, the Big Bang points towards that. Um, then yes, then that thing that it come from came from must have been more complex. Now, to me, what that gr- regression creates is then well, then whatever that thing came from must have been even greater and even more complex, right? And then you do that again and you do that again. And then you end up going towards God. And what you have to offer God is infinite complexity, infinite complexity. Right. Um, And then but then that's the principle that I take is that that's what I refer to as God, the infinitely complex origin of things. And I don't I don't deny complexity. 
Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, it is possible that what existed before the Big Bang was just equivalent to what already is now, and they're equal. And that which is just is. And there's no explanation beyond that. That which, yeah, is and has always been. Yeah. And so my take on that is I would suspect that your life here as a uh, water based, carbon based ape descendant with four, four limbs if you're healthy and lucky. Uh, you and a head bobbing on top of your shoulders. If you're lucky enough to be here living this, then it suggests to me that this is your status. To to your point of, if it is this way, then it's probably all always this way. Then when you when we die as this being as an Earth, then you just wait. So this is an argument for reincarnation. Then you just wake up in some other reality as some other being, also then not knowing what you were then, and then you do that over and over and over. So are you, uh, do you subscribe to reincarnation then, if this is always what it has been and will be? So I, I believe there's a popular view among physicists that uh, just because we experience time as this moment and we remember the past as the past and can't experience the future, right? That's just how we experience time. But the truth is that all time exists simultaneously. It's just not a dimension we're capable of moving in, right? So when this life ends and but I we, die, I'll, pers- I'll be reborn into the same life. In the same life? That's so boring. The same That's life a, over and over again. <laughs> in the same life? Yeah. Because what I am born into is just my perception, and yeah. my whole life will continue to exist. So when I die, I simply go back to the beginning. Of, of this life again and the experience I only, that all, I only get one there is no greater soul than my body when I die the lights go out and I go back to the beginning yeah the beginning and but you think you're gonna be Zach again uh yeah I am the one person I exist for space and time interesting take that's an interesting take I mean before I was born I believe I just didn't exist right and I believe in the time that comes after when I exist that I will not exist but I will all exist in this time. I will. I will give you that. All time, uh, of course. It's. Ma- I think it's been shown mathematically that all times, all spots, all points on the timeline exist uh, concurrently. So, yeah. So what the way I interpret that is that we are agents that are the result of software that God wrote, but time is a function of the software. So we aren't actually moving at all, but you or moving through time or moving through space. But it, it, but we perceive that we are moving through time and space because that's by the design that to be here perceiving time in this way. Uh, but in actuality, we're like software on a solid state drive, right? We're just bits moving around on a solid state drive that isn't actually going anywhere. Uh, that's my current working theory. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree with that. However, I would instead, I would posit that instead of our suffer being designed a certain way, it came to exist a certain way to promote our survival. And that's like literally all of our but perception. That's, but that survival that raises the question again. Still, why survive? I understand that survival. You know, I'm definitely of the opinion that survival. Reproduction. Would, but why? Still, why? And so that's what God answers the why, right? Because we we science answers the how, but science doesn't answer the why. Uh, the, and the why is a legitimate question. Sure, sure. yeah, you know, I get that. I mean, I get like I said, I'm, I'm really, really atheist, and I, uh, I just don't feel the need to to complicate it. But sure, yeah, okay, you could say. I mean, I could certainly read into in the biological drive for organisms to reproduce that something in that is what you identify as the essence of God. Okay, 
that's that's abstract. I can I, I can kind of agree with that. Yeah, I identify the essence of God as life, and so this is the I go a lot off the teaching of Sadhguru. If you've ever heard of Sadhguru, um, he's an Indian yogi, uh, and he says that there is no your life, my life, his life, her life. There's only life, right? And then what you become and are made as and as a small piece of life, but that's akin to a bubble, right? A bubble has a certain amount of air trapped in it, and you can see the discrete edges of the bubble. But when you pop the bubble, where that, that bubble's air doesn't just stay where the bubble was, it goes back to the air. And so this is what Sadhguru argues that we are as life forms, that God is life, and then we get, we are little life bubbles, and then when we pop, we go back to the life which we came. So that actually overlaps with what you were saying about the cycle. Uh, yeah, and I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't find that view particularly objectionable. Um, the strength of my atheism comes from uh, the consequences and thinking associated with the Judeo-Christian God. You talking about for uh, modern Christians who are all burning hell, wear your cross, uh, save your money, uh, and also the same with problems with Islam mm. or mm. with uh, Judaism. Uh, mm. Any case, where, like you know what I mean. And I actually I've taken classes on this, and like with Islam specifically, it's not really about Islam. It's about actual political. It's about politics and power on the ground. Mm. Um, but insofar as religion, you know, contributes to. You know, for example, Afghani women not being able to go to school. Hmm. Um, I, I am very opposed. Anyways, uh, uh, I'm just digressing from saying I don't have any problem with the idea of a religious proposition that we are all is one, and uh, you know that there's some greater collective. Uh, as long as like that supposition of religion doesn't you know interfere with my positivist evaluation of the world around me. Yep. No. No. My my I think it's a good idea. Uh, my suspicion is that God is testing life forms to see which are best to use a vague term and that the way we can show ourselves to be best to god is to survive the death of the milky way galaxy that is to say after the milky way galaxy has been absorbed into the supermassive black hole at its center then we as a species have still gone out and proliferated and multiplied throughout the cosmos i think if we can if we do that we'll impress god <laughs> Uh, yeah, the idea that uh, I mean, when you talk about like surviving past the collapse of our our galaxy, that is oh God, that's just such an unimaginable distance in the it's future. A long time away, but it's but uh, it's important to try to think with as far a view as you possibly can, as scientific right. allow as science what, allows. Yeah. You might know this. I don't. What is the projected timeline to when everything collapses back? How many billions of years? The whole galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> Hundreds of really billions care? of trillions. It's a big yeah. freaking number. It's not. I mean, so the what the sun's going to blow up in five billion. So that's the first. That's the first hurdle. Right. First, we have to survive yeah. the death Bro, of the sun. If we, if we can't get our <laughs> our species off this rock in five billion years, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the time scale we're talking about. We want to survive the death of the Milky Way. Fair enough. But first, we have to survive the death of the sun. First things right. first. First, we have to get to Mars and stop fighting about abortion. Yeah. First things first. <laughs> I mean, it's it's unclear to me whether you actually can travel faster than light, uh, and that's gonna that's gonna determine a lot of how this goes for our I species. Think, look, I suspect that it's possible because, and I think the way that we'll figure out to travel faster than light will be to access some part of the universe that's kind of like sub light or pre light. It's just little. 
you know, little lanes in the universe that just go around light speed. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. See, I think, I think the right thing to say is uh, it may not be possible to travel faster than light, but you can displace distance faster, faster than light does. Yes, that. Yeah. Right. You, that you might use, be, uh, space yeah. might be trippy like that. Well, yeah, we, we know you can use gravity to bend space. Mm -hmm. And so if we developed the technology to generate gravity, we could bend space and move a very short distance and then a very long distance, though, yeah. because space yeah. is bent. That's like, the that's thing. the kind of thing you could do to, to break the whole system. And even if we can't, look, even if we can't, I am so much a fanboy of Elon Musk because we should go colonize Mars. We should colonize the moon. We should try to collect some asteroids, right? Even if we can't survive the death of the sun, we should at least be on the same page about doing these cosmic adventures oh, and for the, sure. I, look, I love elon musk for the, having the means to do it and being like let's actually try and do but these here's things the thing the only way we're going to get more people that are really genuinely interested in looking up and pursuing those very hard engineering degrees that we need them to pursue is to free them absolutely free them to do and then the people who want to do that will do it and we'll, we will all be rewarded for it Absolutely. And well, I think we need to have make sure there's public dollars available to achieve these goals. Yep. We shouldn't be at the yep. whim of Elon Musk on who gets to go into space or go to Mars. Have you ever heard of Marina Mazzucato? Mar or Mariana Mazzucato, I'm sorry. Uh, I have not. She's a Italian economist. I, you'll probably, I, I think mm -hmm. you'll probably like her. Uh, what she argues is that governments are being irresponsible right now by following the market. That is to say, they let the market and the leaders in the international market develop whatever they want to develop, build whatever they wanted to build, sell whatever they want to sell. And then the governments are reacting to failure, failures in the market by propping up this co these companies when what they should by with with all their uh, subsidies and bailouts. But what they should do is use the tax dollars that they have to lead the market. That is to say, be the number one buyer of solar panels, number one buyer of tiny homes and things that help the homeless, right? The number one yeah. buyer of electric cars. And then, is, then yeah. companies will react to that, right? The government- that, that is how we got the computer. That's how we got the computer. The United, Apparently, United you said it. I didn't, I didn't know yeah. that. But this is what Mariana yeah. Mazzucato argues, is that government should be leaders in markets so that the markets can benefit the people. Because, look, businesses are just going to build what makes money. They aren't necessarily looking to the future. They're looking to their bottom. They're looking to the end of this quarter. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the U.S. military buying miniaturized electronics for guided uh, precision weapons is literally why we have computers. Hmm. And for aircraft avionics and there shit like that. There you go. There you go. Like, like that's yeah. And so, like, we we ask, what do we need to, uh, you know, to get to space colonization? Well, your answer is, we need, like you said, the government needs to be the number one buyer of those goods. Yep. Yeah, we're on the same. We overlap a lot politically. Did you? How did you feel about Andrew Yang? I was Yang Gang. Okay, so the my sister-in-law my my sister's husband's sister okay worked for andrew yang really yes and i was a huge fan of andrew yang and then i spoke with her and she broke the illusion for me which really? is really oh no yep yep she said he doesn't really ha he isn't really located anywhere politically he'll you know espouse the views of the last person he talked to on the issue uh tend to hire only white men um and really? just wasn't actually damning, yeah. damning accusations. I know it's it's too bad. And I mean, he, clearly he believes in the idea of a. Uh, C. Greaves was economically about the idea of a UBI and being need to free people up and you know adjust for 
displacements of uh, dislocations from technology and whatever. Like, uh, he, he's on all that. That's correct. But yeah. beyond that, he doesn't have a like a solid political footing. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. This, this was a stance I took a while ago, and I'll reaffirm it. I am a member of the UBI party in this country. Now, currently, the leader of the UBI party is Andrew Yang in the forward party. You swap him out with John Smith and the payment party. I can go to either. <laughs> right. I'm not. A, uh, yeah, so I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not committed to Andrew Yang the way so many Americans are committed to Donald Trump. Right. It's not. I'm not part of a personality cult. Yeah, I'm for basic income. Uh, and if he's the lead guy talking about it and trying to bring it to the White House, then I'm then he's my guy. And if somebody else is doing it, then she's my girl. Oh yeah, I think uh, I, I think that's great. I think doing it by UBI is fine. You could also have a refundable tax credit of twelve thousand dollars a year. It does the same thing, right? Yeah. Like yeah, uh, there's yeah you could there's any number of ways to do it. I think we need we need redistribution, and I, you can do it however you want. Just give me some redistributive policy. Yeah, yeah, man. I, the the analogy that I use with money is that money is like water. Now, if you had a garden that you watered the bottom and then the money evaporated and went up to the treetops and went to the canopy and or goes to the tree or I guess it doesn't get it releases water from the canopy, not absorbs it. Anyway, it goes to the tree. You don't just go water all the tallest trees and then go, OK, you guys drop it to the rest. That's not how you water a garden. You put the water on the ground and it makes its way upward to the rest. Right. So that that's the analogy that sure. I've been working on for money is that we need it to be in the soil. Not just in the air. We need the money to get spent. We need yeah. it not to be used on speculative tools and stock buybacks, which exactly. is what you get when you do corporate tax breaks. Yeah, you get you get stock buybacks from the major airlines a year before the the pandemic, and then we have to give them you know hundred billion dollars. Oh my goodness! Oh my don't, goodness! Don't it's incomprehensible. It's incomprehensible. We don't even who represents us? Who rep really? <laughs> no one really. <laughs> Jeez, Louise, are you are, are you on Reddit? Uh, I, 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 yes, sometimes. sometimes. I don't follow politics on Reddit, but I obviously I'm on Reddit. It's pretty liberal. I was on um, Our Anti-Work a couple weeks ago. I really enjoyed that I've subreddit. been on there before. Yeah. Yeah, like, because, look, that, that subreddit, it's, sure, it's mostly liberal, but they don't, they aren't saying, what they're about is they're about employees around all the Western nations that are sick of being exploited more and exploiting more with every passing week and year. Um, there's, it seems like, and there's, it seems like there's no relief in sight. You know, I saw a thing that said, um, oh, it said what employer wage has gone up by 900% in the past 30 years. And then your wage has gone up by, or CEO wage has gone up by 900% in the past 30 years. Your wage has gone up by 5% and yeah, immigrants are the problem. Exactly. Exactly. If you look at like what happened, uh, yeah, this is the problem. Like the the way resources are currently distributed, it is not working. the The private sector has failed to do it, and we need someone to step in and take care of that for us. It's just a mess. Yes, dude, we are members of the same party. <laughs> for sure, man. Are you Democrat? I'm not Democrat. I'm no party preference. I'm independent. independent. Um, I would say I I'm an independent that caucuses with the Democrats. Is how I would describe myself. That's fair. What do you think of uh, Matthew McConaughey, his political positions? I haven't followed them. I have no idea what he says. I don't. I'm not sure either. You're you're more expert than me, so I was seeing if you had a sharp no. on it. I don't know. I'm not sure where he lands. Is he conservative? Is he liberal? Is he mixed? Is he neither? I don't. I'm not sure where he lands. 
Yeah, I don't know, man. The more uh, more things change, the more I think the uh, being an independent in the middle is the only respectable place to be. So what is the next best thing that could happen in 2024 uh, that might happen in 2024, do you think? Uh, I don't know, man. Democrats really win the don't. Senate? Yeah, I mean, I am terrified that in 2024 we're going to get Trump again. Jeez. And it's pretty clear he's going to run. If he doesn't get indicted. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think... So, like, this one is... We talked about this in political science uh, in some of my classes. Like, um, it is very costly to uh, investigate and prosecute uh, former mm-hmm. presidents or political leaders mm-hmm. uh, pro- in terms of political capital it's, it's it's hard to do it can you know it can help it can feed partisanship and help divide the country like it can be very expensive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is one of those cases where it's worth it and we should as a I believe that our institution should prosecute Donald Trump and he should be convicted of something and just settle solve this problem uh, but I don't have faith that it's gonna happen jeez I'm I'm optimistic, man, uh, because what they found three hundred more. Do- didn't they find a thousand documents total? Didn't they find seven hundred pages in February and then three hundred just right now? Uh, yeah, he had a bunch of classified. Yeah, material. so it's pretty, it's pretty clear he mishandled. The dude evidence. walks away with a thousand pages of classified materials and says, "Ah, rules don't apply to me." <laughs> yeah, on. yeah, and I mean, and you know, the rules really don't until someone's willing to enforce them. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know what? You're absolutely right. The uh, the connected elites have been operating with impunity, uh, and he's just representative of it, of their attitudes. Oh, for sure. And like, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. That is exactly the case. I just thought uh, in my head Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. For real. This guy, what? Both guards are asleep and the most and this guy's in this. Come on. He killed himself. What was he? Five feet off the ground, too? Something like that. Yeah, right. Slumped yeah. on the floor. He hung himself on the floor or something like that. Come on, what he hung, he hung himself from the bottom of the door. Come on. I don't, exactly. I don't know how he was really hung up. It was a bunker on a sheet or something. I don't know. I have no idea. And and you know, it's entirely possible that Epstein did just kill himself. He was in a hopeless situation. It's but it's emblematic of the my my distrust for. It's improbable, uh, if you ask me. Exactly. It's possible that he killed himself, and it's improbable that he killed himself. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd say it's possible that he killed himself, and it's just as possible somebody else killed him, right? Like because what's I this? Know. I heard something that they aren't chasing down Gislaine Maxwell's contact list when, but they have it. They so they know who the people are in the groups, but they just aren't chasing them down. Was that a thing? I don't know. I don't know. It does. I mean, it does make sense to me that if there are too many people that are politically sensitive on the list, it's better to just not touch it. Yeah. To give everybody, either everybody gets a pass or you have to tackle people you don't want to tackle. Dude, we're living in the oligarchy. Oh, it's been an oligarchy, man. It's been, you're right. It's been an oligarchy. And this is, but I mean, this is what it looks like. like. In the 70s, it's really taken off. Yep. Yep. It's just getting harder for people. And I, you know, I just I want to go for the common man because to me, I tell you, I discovered when I was on a retreat with some good friends uh, and one of their parents were multimillionaires. So we were staying at a very nice house uh, on a gated community golf course, whole whole bit. 
And so we were out there hanging out, and I think it was a Saturday or something, and we had gotten brunch in the morning and hang out, slept in, hung out, got brunch, went and did some other thing, and I was coming back, and I need to take a shower because I need to get ready for dinner, and I'm in this very nice shower, and the sun's going down. I'm going, where did the day go? Uh, and it was then that I realized that that's what's happening with elites and commoners. It's not like elites are watching documentaries on the pain of the American common every day, every morning. And they're just going, oh, I'm just going to go on with my day. They're just living nice lives, right? They're living the best lives they can. Uh, and it doesn't involve it doesn't involve concessions to the poor. <laughs> Why would it? Why would it? Uh, <laughs> uh, by the way, is there somebody on your else on your end? No, is there? Do you hear echoes or something? Oh, I, no, I thought I heard something. I didn't. It's pretty been pretty quiet in this room. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah, Maybe, yeah. Probably the connection wigging out. Yeah. Um. That could uh, could definitely be the case. They're just uh, oblivious. Yeah, or at least a lot of the 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 people that are just you know, like I said, just living nice lives. They're they're oblivious, and that's fine. But. Not all of them are right, and so that's who I have. The I have the problem with the tobacco executives that go in front of the Congress and say that in 1994 that tobacco is not addictive when they know it is. They know it is. They lied, and what whatever happened to them for lying? When we found out they lied, nothing. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, so yeah was, uh, that's what the, that's the, part of the big route of this country. The problems with corporate responsibility are real. Right, like it seems like one of the real problems is that in corporate America there is an attitude that you don't have to be accountable. That's right, and and someone forces you to be, and that that sucks. Like that's not a culture that. But meanwhile, every individual citizen has to be ultimately accountable for every facet of their existence. Oh, for sure. Again, like the 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 rules only exist if someone's willing to prosecute you, and boy, are they willing to prosecute average people. What are we gonna do, man? How are we gonna How are we gonna survive this mess? Uh. Well, the cynical answer to that is uh, just become one of the rich people who doesn't care, right? <laughs> Make sure that your group doesn't fall through the quicksand. Yeah, exactly. And that's a shitty answer, but it's going to require a larger societal organization like that. I think, so, you know, we talk about uh, social justice. I think the, again, we're, talking, we're really talking about economic justice, right? We need mm. a, new, a new coalition of average people that would demand economic justice and are willing to set aside other, other differences until such a time as we can address the economic problems. That's and I think right, that's, that's what's going to take. The liberty that the Constitution calls for, one of those liberties, is economic liberty. And it's economic liberty of the common. And all look, all I'm arguing for and all we're arguing for as basic income proponents is give people a chance. Give people the ability to be free to decide and to learn what it is they're good at. Right. And it, it's, an, a, it's a, a luxury that the children of families with assets have. But it's a luxury we can afford for everyone. For sure, that's undoubtedly the case. Yeah. Do you know how many? How many? Do you know any billionaires? Do you think you know any billionaires? Personally, I know I don't. I think the the person I know who has the highest net worth is worth twenty or thirty million dollars, and he's a pretty good personal friend. Oh, nice, nice. I think I I think I knew a guy that was probably around a hundred mil. He was one of my bosses at a at a company. Big money out there, man. I, you know what? It's a, it's a trip when you look at what is it? The average American net worth is fifty k, or maybe that's income or whatever. But then you, you look at the the little scale diagrams where they use sand and counters and be and they count up to the top, dude. There's so uh, yeah. much money in this economy. 
Uh, the, so the money is there. Yeah, the money is there. Yeah. It's just a matter of distribution. Like that's what no it is. doubt. That's what it is. We're we're radicalizing each other on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm going to be honest. Like, I have pretty strong views uh, on economic issues, but I don't think about them very much because mm-hmm. uh, I truly have come to believe it's kind of hopeless. Like, I don't know. It's gonna. They're gonna have to. Other things are gonna have to change mm. before we can tackle like distribution problems. Like we're gonna have to fundamentally change something in the way our electoral system works before we can hope. Dude, I am concerned that we've gone over the tilt, over the cliff, into authoritarianism. When we just haven't like haven't found it out yet. Like the the die is already cast. No, yeah, it's that in twenty twenty four they're just gonna elect an, an autocrat, and then that's it. Sure. And then GG, uh, and then they dismantle everything from the inside, and we can't put it back together. Yep, that is. I mean, that's to think it can't happen here is wrong. It can, uh, it happen, can here. happen here. It can happen here, certainly. I mean, the fact that Trump lost in twenty twenty is great. I think Trump needs to lose again in twenty twenty four, and then we can the Republican Party can figure out what it's going to do. Yeah, yeah. Or or Donald Trump could just get old and die. He's an old guy. I mean, but here's the problem, though, right? Donald Trump isn't the problem. He's an expression of the problem. Mm. And we need to, as a country, figure out how we're going to address that problem. And I mm. think, uh, again, like we've been saying, a lot of it's economics, That's man. Right. I think that people would have That's a lot right. different things to say if they weren't worried about where their next meal is going to come from. I saw a take that said, instead of trying to you know, catch every criminal in the hood... Why don't you invest the resources to make it such that people aren't craw- people aren't clawing at each other for resources, right? For material goods. For sure. <laughs> Why don't you create the environment in which people aren't literally fighting each other for a dollar, and then you'll then you'll end your crime if you're serious about crime. Yeah, exactly. I think that like if you look at how much crime is centered around because someone didn't have enough, uh, you're you're gonna you know find real quickly that. Fixing society largely will solve that problem. That problem will solve itself if you fix the economic problems. What do you see as the optimal use of human intelligence? Oh, okay. So we're saying in a, a we've invented artificial general intelligence. It is doing everything that that needs to be done. Sure. And what is the optimal use of human intelligence? Sure. You're totally free from all the mundane tasks. What do you do with your oh, time? Oh man. Um. I'd like to write short stories or write poetry. Very nice. Uh, you know, and it's funny because those are things like I occasionally write, but not not a lot. Um, and some of it's even good. Most of it's not. I don't do it enough to be good at it. But yeah, I think that would be like if I could just do whatever. Yeah, that'd be on the list. That's cool, man. I wrote a book earlier this year. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It sucks, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I What's wrote it. About? Uh <laughs> ostensibly it's about the line between good and evil that's drawn across the human heart um what it is what it is in plot it's about these three friends that grow up in long beach and in this fictional world where a gang runs all of la and then they engage with their gang leaders uh and ask questions about life so that's actually fine. That, that, that seems like that could be really interesting, or it could be terrible. Yeah, <laughs> or both. I'm just not a I'm just not a great writer, right? I, I think my premise sure. is pretty interesting. I'm just, but like you said, I just haven't written enough to be good at writing. Yeah, that, that's the thing is, you know, I often like lament I don't write better. Like I've written like one or two poems that are really good. Nice. Um, and and I, I regret that uh, I don't I'm not better at it. But I, you know, if I wanted to be better, I'd just spend the time. That's it. That's it. Practice makes perfect. What podcast do you like to listen to? 
what podcast? So I listen to Sam Harris's podcast. Uh, I listen to. Um, Have you heard his most recent bit on trigonometry? No, I haven't. So my buddy hit me up. He said, hey, you got to check out this Sam Harris trigonometry interview. So I watch it. And there's a point where Sam said it's it's factually true. It's objectively true that the cops are killing more unarmed white people than they are killing unarmed black people. And I thought that was what he was going to get in trouble for. (laughs) But Uh, no, but no. Later on in an interview, he said he wouldn't care if. Hunter Biden was discovered to have a basement full of children's corpses. It's still we still needed to it was it was still prudent to ignore that news story until Donald Trump was out of office. Uh, that was the basic context of what he well, said. And uh, uh, he got a lot of flack for that. I think that he's not entirely wrong. I mean, I think let's 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 t- take let's take the specifics out of what he said and and phrase it in a more charitable general That's way. That's right. The, he he the used pres- a terrible right. turn of phrase. <laughs> right. The, the preservation of democracy is more important than the consequences to any one actor within the system. And insofar as Donald Trump represents a threat to democracy and uh, in the institutions of democracy, he must be defeated and everything else must wait for that to happen. Yeah. Even if that involves very unsavory things like basements full of children. That was his point. That was his point. Yeah. Uh, He's not wrong. Yeah, I don't. I'm not <laughs> sure because to me, so where I land on it is, I I say okay, Hunter Biden has a basement full of children's corpses. The question I ask: Does Joe know about the corpses? And that's an important question because if he knows about the corpses, it's very important. But also, I should say on the issue of running the story, of ignoring the story, I'm against ignoring the story. I think they should run it. Run it right before the election. That's your job as a journalist. Run the story. You shouldn't be thinking about political consequences of running a story. You should be running a story that's going to drive clicks. That's your job, right? So do your job, especially when it's presenting information that you've researched to be true. Um, you know, it'd be one thing if they were yeah. making this stuff up about Hunter Biden, but they weren't. So since they weren't making it up, they verified it's true. Run it. Right. Regardless of the political consequences, that's my stance on that. So I, I disagree with them on the running it. But I do agree with them that, look, if Hunter, if Hunter Biden has a basement full of children's corpses and Joe doesn't know about it. And it's best that we can tell Joe never knew. And he's absolutely as dumbfounded and shocked, even more so than all of us. Then, OK, you still should have ran the story. But, yes, Joe, Joe should be elected because he's a better president than Trump. Sure. Uh I mean, I guess, what do I think the journalist should do there? I think the journalist should do whatever they think serves their interests. And mm. if they think it's in their interest to, if they think having Donald Trump be reelected is against their interests because it will threaten the political stability of their country, then I think that journalist should uh, publish or not publish as they see fit. Yeah, but also, see, here's the rationale, too. So as a journalist, you're saying, okay, as a journalist, my duty is to public good, right? The public good. Donald Trump is a public Donald Trump in office is a public bad. Therefore, publishing this Hunter Biden article, no matter how true it is, is a public bad because it adds to the possibility of keeping Trump in office. That's the that's the calculus. Agreed. Now, whether whether you whether one one agrees with that calculus or not. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't yeah. see like you could also just run the story after the election. You could. That's fine. You could. You, I mean, could, you could delay it. Uh, I would. I would still that argue. That is what I would do. I would that's argue I would that that's do. a little bit. You know, I feel like run the story, man. You know, I. So in that in that case, I still agree with what Comey did. 
right? Right before Hillary got in, he announced that he's an opening investigation on Hillary. What was that? A week before the general. So yeah, I agree with that, you know, and his, um, his calculus was, and he said, I thought to myself, if I don't launch this investigation, I'm not doing my job. And if I don't announce it, then I'm doing it in secret to help the, you know, but, but again, it's the consideration of the political fallout that gummied the works. Right. Uh, right. And, and Comey had said that the idea that he had a hand in electing Trump makes him sick, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, there is a right and a wrong way to do, pe- do to do anyone's job, and it should usually involve being straightforward and transparent. Yes. Um, yes. But sometimes politics does. De- sometimes politics demands otherwise, and I think our doc- democracy is in a, a precarious position, and it may be more important that we protect democracy than be straightforward and transparent yeah but i don't i don't think it ever involves lying and so sam i think put it put down the gambit for all of us when he wrote in lying there's usually or not usually there's almost always some version of the truth that you can tell that will both protect your interest and forward your agenda um and so i would argue that it's on the that the onus is on the experienced reporters and experienced politicians to find that truth right find the truth you can say that is true and that uh, that advances your agenda and protects uh emotional states and to be a, a national leader especially america at that level then you need to be good at that you need to be good at the finding that that truth you know and that's that's what political speak is when it's all these half vague terms and so you can't pin them on anything right but but i understand why that language is necessary because they're talking about they're making statements that are that impact the public welfare and they can't be retracted so you have to be careful with your words for sure for sure i I mean i don't know so i guess part of this question is uh, i guess these directly how how much of a problem do you think donald trump is i think donald i i to to your earlier point at at a point that i agree with i think donald trump is a big problem but also that he is a symptom and so the the bigger problem, the bigger problem than Trump is the causes of Trumpism. Those are the bigger problems. If we if we address and try harder to address the causes of Trumpism, then Trump goes away and, the, and then there's not a, not as much of a threat. And so, I, I, yeah, that's what I, that's my stance is that you've got conservative people in this country that have watched factory after factory leave their town you've got people that have watched that used to be able to go to the grocery store and say hi to everyone now they don't know who they can talk to and they're strangers in their own hometowns and culture is changing very fast and they don't like it right so these people and and their bosses make 900 times more and they make five percent more so they need they need an outlet they're pissed off and they need an outlet trump spoke their language because he, he touched their core, but obviously you and I agree that he was never genuine. <laughs> he was never genuine about his care for the common conservative American. He does he doesn't really care. He just he just says the words to get in the office. Um, yeah, so that you know, and that's that's my concern is that we need to address those cares, address those people. I love my countrymen, my my countrymen in the heartland. We need to address our common issues, and I think so. How big of a problem is Trump? He's bigger problem. A bigger problem is unrepresented conservatives people that are voting for this guy for good reason for sure for sure i I think that uh the trump the only thing about trump that is unique or makes trump a special problem is his uh willingness to uh his bend towards authoritarianism we'll put it that way also he's Uh, a liar 
He's a lie. Dude, the truth yeah. the truth is more important than all of us. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. If if people if, I think dude, the amount of lies that man spews, like oh, if you can't just communicate about objective reality, then you can't for have real. a conversation. It's disqualifying. His lying is yeah, exactly. disqualifying. Not, he, this dude isn't fit to run a Wendy's, let alone a nation. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, do I like Joe Biden? No, but I do believe that if Joe Biden says something, he's making a reasonable effort for the thing he says to be true. Yes, which is which right. was a bar that we didn't uh, that I didn't know we could drop, but we dropped it. Yeah, I, exactly. I didn't know we could get that low. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. No, we're on the same page about that, man. Yeah, I, yeah, I think. I was a uh, I was a huge Sam Harris fan for for a long long time, and then I became more of a Jordan Peterson fan as I came to my to kind of my own conclusion that it does for me it makes more sense that God is paying attention to us than that He's not, um, and that's just that's just where I stand. What's your opinion about uh, the Sam Harris Jordan Peterson debates? Um, you know, I thought it was interesting. Like, uh, Sam can can have a good conversation with like anyone, but I think he himself said everyone else has a good conversation with uh, with Jordan. I don't know why I can't. Um, <laughs> I I have listened to a fair amount of Jordan Peterson stuff. Uh, I I like some of his ideas. Uh, I think um, I think some of his positions on social issues. Uh, he is actually providing a post hoc rationalization for an, an, an underlying deeply held belief. Interesting. Uh, so, uh, and I, I think there are times when, uh, when Peterson's position on things like diverge from what I think is reasonable and just, again, they lean towards, they, they, they suggest that, uh, there is a, it's actually an underlying belief he's representing. Oh yeah. Um, well, he's, he's open about Christian, his Christian stance. Uh, he's nominally Christian at least. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. truly held because they are conservative and therefore have this social position or if it's uh held because of a a a piece of internal rational debate that it caused you to arrive at that position right well i i think it's i think the latter is actually unavoidable um because in actuality each one of us is inside of a black sphere uh that's that's where we live and then we have these little portals that extend from from our brain uh, to our eyes, and our eyes are little portals to the outside world, and they receive the photons and they generate the images. But the world as you perceive it is not the world as it is. It's the world as it was a few moments ago. And then it's not only that, it's not even the full world that you're perceiving. It's a very limited band that you perceive and, and reimagine a few seconds or a few moments after it happens. So... To, yeah, and, and you can and have that, three or four people see the same thing and not agree on what they see. Yes, yes, and so this is this is what brings this is what brings me a little bit in line with JP in that from that place of being in darkness with a little window to the world and a little window to a sliver of the world, everybody's beliefs are of their own making, and that's the first kind of principle you have to go through when we're talking about beliefs is everyone who believes has to admit that you're choosing your beliefs and if you're going beyond science and you also have to admit that you don't know that god is out there right so maybe you have a problem with jp is that it's, jp will kind of give the impression that he knows that god is there or something like that but um have you picked up i i picked up some of that stuff at first but i don't think he's really putting that there but he gives that impression that sometimes yeah yeah absolutely yeah. Like it's 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 implied 
right? Yeah, um, yeah, he gives that impression. Like I said, I don't think he holds that explicitly. I think he, I think the position he holds is that he believes God is there, like I do. But I don't know that God is there, right? I don't know that God is there paying attention to us. I just, I believe it, and I choose to believe it. Man, I wish I could just know. To be truly knowing, gnostic. knowing no. is harder. Knowing is harder. You gotta, you gotta look at Sadhguru for knowing. Sad, now, oh. Sadhguru claims to know what's going on. He claims to know. So you gotta, you gotta check him out. Uh, uh, yeah, I should. Yeah. I mean, yeah, honestly, like, I don't know if, if I were to discover that there is nothing, that would be fine mm. because that's like aligned with. If I were to discover there is a god, if there is a supernatural agent that I should be trying to please that I am not pleasing with my current behavior, mm. that's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it can be. Well, the way I think of it is this. I think that uh, uh, God looks at us much like I look at my dog when I take him on a walk. So when I take my dog on a walk, uh, he can sniff the first plot of grass and he can poop or he can pee there. And I'll say, good job. He can sniff the second or the third, third plot of grass and ivy. He can pee, pee there or he can poop there. And I'll say, good job. It doesn't. He's on the leash. I'm controlling where he goes. It doesn't matter where he pees. He's free to do whatever he wants. So I think we're kind of like that. We're we're here. But God kind of has us on a leash in a safe space. And so even if you say I'm against God. I am for evil and death. And you just go around killing as many people as you possibly can and intend never to kill yourself, but constantly cause harm. Even if you go that route, God will look yeah, at you like a dog that's peeing on his own leg. You know, <laughs> sure. It won't, you know, even if you, even if he disapproves, quote unquote, disapproves of you, it's disapproving of the way that a 40 year old father would disapprove of something that their two year old daughter is doing. Right. There's not much because he loves us that much and we're that much smaller than him. So it's, it's not, you know, even if he does disapprove, he, it's not like he's looking at you as a as a villain, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I could see. I mean, that's certainly the kind of the kind of God I, I find less objectionable, right? Yeah. Um, the God that cares no matter what, right? And that, that's that's the, that's the God if, that if I gravitate gratitude to. There is an all powerful God that yeah. cares no matter what. Yeah. He sure lets some fucked up shit go on, man. Sure, because this look this this is all this is an illusion. This is a fake reality, in my argumentation, compared to God's reality, to the greater, to the more complex reality that this reality comes from. And so it's kind of like, yeah, when you go into a video game, you can die. You can die a bunch. <laughs> and so I think I think we're kind of like that. We're kind of playing a video game that God has built for us where the consequences feel real. But ultimately, he's got us. Yeah. So what do you think happens when you die? Uh, I think what happens when we die is a bit like if you take a whole pot of soup, right? You have a nice hot pot of soup and all the spices and all the flavors and all the oils and molecules and chunks of meat are in there. And then you get a ladle and you scoop up a, a, a ladle full. Now, with the, the constituents and the components of that ladle are unique. They're unique to what's in that ladle. That's a spoonful that is unique. It's a unique spoonful. And when you pour it back out into the soup... Where does the spoonful go, right? It, it just, all of its component parts vanish back into the soup from whence they came. And so that's what I think happens to us. I think our life forces are kind of like little spoonfuls of life that, we, that, that God creates for us. And then when we die, we dissolve back into the soup from which we came. I can see that. That's a, that, that's a nice view. Yeah, not, nothing controversial. You know, I, I wouldn't be, if, you know, if I, was a, if, I was, if I felt like God was going to, you know, get pissed at me for seeking him out, I think I'd stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think he likes when you seek when you seek him out, when you imagine what, what might be going on out there. For sure, for sure. Uh you know they always, we always said in, in AA that God is an unsuspected inner resource. 
They I've always found that, that to be true. You, that yeah. resonated with you, huh? The unsuspected yeah. inner resource? For sure, yeah. for sure. I, yeah, I tend to think, like, obviously I don't believe in God. Like, I, I believe in something that other people might call God in terms of, like, there being uh, something inside me that I can appeal to for strength. I just consider it part of myself, sure, right? But it's what other people would call God. Do you do you subscribe to Spinoza's God, the, the deist God that just kind of sets things in motions and then doesn't really pay attention after that? Uh, I mean, that's possible. Hmm. That certainly, I mean, that wouldn't be precluded in my that's, view. That's uh, Einstein uh, and Elon. They both subscribe to Spinoza's God. Right. But but I have no reason to believe that that was the case. God, in that essence, could have just been what is, and mm. what is continues, and that's, we're here. That's true. That's true. You know, that's a good point. And then for me, that makes me excited, because for me, God does care about how we feel and how we treat each other and what we do. Yeah, you know, I just think the universe is so big. If God created all of this, why? what is so special about us? We're like on this little marble, the bl- little blue dot. Yeah, well, what I think makes us special is just that we're one of one of the creator's creations, right? And it would seem, it seems to me that in the beginning, uh, there was God and he was infinite, alive and complex and alone. Uh, and so then he created companions as a, a way of not being alone. Uh, and then the, we're here we're, and that's, we're, that's still where we are. <laughs> we're still in the companion phase. He still creates companions and some of them are wicked and some of them aren't. Some of them were mixed. God created, uh, what if God intended to, created some other companions and we were like the biological runoff? Possible. Totally possible. But the, the God that I give credit to, again, is the original, infinitely complex origin of life. So that God, there's very little surprising, right? And there's, there's no surprising in the way things come about kind of through nature right up up to our the way thing the way we came about was not a surprise to god now this is a stance that i'm toying with i think god might intentionally leave himself ignorant of the paths that we are going to choose to walk in in each lifetime that is so you think you walk the same path over and over which is fine which is fine i suspect this that every time you're available to walk your would-be same path over again, it's actually brand new, and you walk it a little bit differently, and God is surprised every time. Because yeah. that, because that, to me, is the essence of a companion, right? A companion isn't... I build video games, right? My, my video games are not companions. Why? Because I always know what they're going to do. There's nothing they're going to do that's surprising me. And if some, you know, if something's broken, it's because I typed it wrong. It's not because it made up some some decision, right? But a, right. but a dog, I have a little dog too. He's a companion because he's he can do what he surprises me. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to do. Sure. I don't know what he's thinking. So I think that in the spirit of companionship, or I suspect maybe I'm toying. Like I said, I'm toying with the idea. I'm not committed to this, but I I'm toying around that God intentionally makes himself ignorant of what we're going to do so that he can be surprised by what we do and thus honor his intention of having a companion. Man, this God sounds pretty uh, anthropomorphic. Well, so, yeah, here's the thing about, about God, right? God has to, has to contain every aspect that is human. So every aspect that is human is within God. And God has those aspects. You don't think that God could create something that is different and unique from himself? 
No, no, no. I'm saying that all of the aspects of human are within God, but God's aspects is infinitely expanded beyond humanity. Sure. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I uh, know I, dude. I think there are planets with intelligent crabs, planets with intelligent dolphins, planets with intelligent spiders that evolved and are asking the same philosophical questions that we are. I think God's having a ball. I think he's having a good time of life, and that's what that's kind of what he's about. Is that he's having a good time of life, and he's sharing his good time of life. And then what? I, and so I, this is where what makes me uh, Christian adjacent. I am Christian adjacent. I'm not fully Christian because I subscribe that Jesus had a father just like the rest of us. That I don't subscribe to. to immaculate conception so a lot of groups won't won't admit that i'm won't allow me to be a christian in their definition but sure. uh, but i so because i call them heresy <laughs> well yeah, because of the heresy so but i call yeah. myself christian adjacent because i i am of the belief these days and this can change but that we are really here in this reality because god told us not to eat from the tree of good and evil and we did in a metaphorical and some and somewhat literal way uh, so that makes me that makes me Christian adjacent because that adds up to me uh, that we're here in order to deal with death, death because we didn't uh, appropriately or properly appreciate life in the first place. That that makes sense to me. That rings rings for me. And, you know, I'm look, I'm fully aware also that I came up in a Christian family. So the chances of me finding any religion other than Christianity were pretty slim. True, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I am. I'm, I'm a product of my culture. I'm aware. But I try to think for myself, as do you. So, look, I would go around arguing until I'm blue in the face that people should think for themselves, try to think from first principles, try to look at the world as brand new, and just try to think for yourself. It seems like you also have that stance. Is that is that true? Uh, yes, and I, I agree particularly strongly with the idea that people should have first principles mm. and all of their policy positions should follow from those principles logically. Hmm. Uh, and that's one of the reasons, like, I don't fit in any political camp because mm. I think, I think the core principles uh, that most people possess don't actually align with the political party. Mm. Yeah. How did you? Th- how did you come to that sense? Who? Who did you learn from? What? What influences did you oh. have that, that put you that way? Um, I think so. For me, when I saw the way addicts are treated, mm. right? Mm. Um, the way essentially we let our police, you know, hunt and kill them. Or if they don't kill them, lock them in boxes, right? Mm. And it's publicly okay because drug addicts do want popular things, so it's okay to bag on them, right? I think I came out of that experience with uh, an understanding of how important individual liberty and like bodily autonomy are to me. Interesting. Uh, and so like all of my positions were informed by that core belief, and then I, I came to believe that really all of my my positions should be supported by a core belief, and I should identify what those core beliefs are. Mm-hmm. Um, so you believe in freedom at a deep level, individual freedom. Yeah, I mean we don't have it. Yep. Really, and we don't we don't really have. There's a there's, we're very much uh, individually unfree. But I, in in a perfect world, there would be as much liberty as possible. I think that what we're seeing right now with all the union striking is actually a result of people getting some liberty, because I think COVID and the work from home and the firing people and people quitting sent people home and then they were freer with their time maybe they didn't have the 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 income that they had but they had their time and that's the that's the kicker they had their time and once they had their time they started thinking (laughs) and once they once they started thinking it's not long before they started striking so right well and i think in the beginning of the pandemic when we gave everyone money so people had money and were at home people had money and were at home 
in the beginning. That's even, yeah. that's even more like, oh, that that's gonna you want to make problems, give people money and free time. Yeah, which which by the way was way too much money for me. That just showed oh. how out of touch and callous and out of touch they are in Washington. That their knee jerk reaction is give everybody un no give the unemployed. Twenty four hundred only the unemployed twenty four hundred dollars a month. What you weren't listening? <laughs> yeah, I got I got one thousand and seventy dollars a week for a year and a half. Jeez, they paid you fifty grand. Uh, more than a that, a year like and 70. a half. Oh my gosh, seventy five grand. Yeah. Uh, in fact, what was funny was I put in my application in April. Like the job I had, kind of stuff happened, COVID, whatever. Mm. And so, but I, I, you know, I was on good terms with my boss. We we ended the relationship in a way where I'd be able to collect unemployment, right? Nice. Um, and yeah, uh, like I applied in April or early May, and then it it took till September to get yes, approved. True. And when they approved yeah. it, they sent me a check for fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, for the back pay. Yeah. Yeah, which was nuts. <laughs> Look, I'm for giving money, but their knee jerk was just twice as large as they needed to be. What they should have done is give out twelve hundred dollars a month to ev- to everyone who needed it, not just the unemployed. Right. So, look, yeah. even even less, even like nine hundred dollars, take it down to a thousand. You gave just the unemployed twenty four hundred. How about knock that number down to a thousand and double your group size? Give it to unemployed and gig workers or something like that right expand the group up broaden the base yeah yeah that that would have been a better solution but they don't they don't think about us man i mean yeah i i agree i think uh i think we have a weird like we've fetishized work in a way that's weird and counterproductive um but you know because of that idea that you have to have personal responsibility and personal you have to work they wanted to limit access to the money to people who could claim unemployment benefits i guess Mm, i don't know you know i'm just really glad they did something I am. I am glad they did something. Yeah. What I think we're we're doing at work is actually an ambiguous term that needs to be split. So we've we we do fetishize work, but there is a type of work that's worthy of fetish, uh, or at least let's say worthy of honoring, right? And that's the type of work that is energizing. That's the type of work that fills you up. The type of work that that when you wake up in the morning, you go, "Oh, I can't wait." to get to this task and then you jump out of your bed to go do that task you've read Marx, right uh i've read the communist manifesto i haven't read anything else okay but there's a lot about that about about the the quality of work in marx's ideas the quality oh yes so so we've conflated that work which is good for you which helps you be a better person it helps it's it's integral to personal growth that type of work is indispensable for being a mature person and it's important yes and we should honor it but we've conflated that with jobs with wage labor with with and that's not work that's not fulfilling. That's not fulfilling work, and that's what's going on in this country. People are sick of pretending that working at Taco Bell is filling their souls. It's not, and it never, right. and it never has. Um, yeah. Right, and, and right, yeah, and and, you know, and and I guess nor should it. Nor should it. Right. So the the, the question as for us as a society is what do you, how how do the masses of people who work at Walmart mm-hmm. find fulfillment? Like, how do we as a society create a world where those people have what they need to flourish as a human being? Sure. What I'm going to tell you is give them their time and they'll find fulfillment. It's not uh, that's it, it's not us. That's true. Yeah, it's not on us. And, you know, we won't we don't know 
what will fulfill all 300 million of us we don't know what's going we don't know what's going to fulfill any one person but you know who can find out that person and what we can do is give that person their time so they can seek the fulfillment that will that the, that they deserve for sure for sure i think that's that's absolutely the case uh but you know our corporate overlords our corporate need overlords. cheap labor <laughs> Well, dude, uh, look, look, I will leave you to it. We are so aligned, and I am so happy that you came on here to talk to me, Zach. It's been good to hang out, man. Yeah, we will do it again. Yeah, hit me up anytime, bro. I will. Thanks again, bud. Yeah, it was good talking, man. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye.